Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Mod Path Chat the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Netto, is the editor-in-chief of Modern Pathology and the chair of pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Netto. Greetings from ModPath Chat. Our guest today are two distinguished faculty members at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. They are Dr. Jeff Medeiros and Dr. Roberto Miranda. Dr. Medeiros is a professor of pathology and for 19 years, he has served as the inaugural chair of the Department of Pathology, Hematopathology. Jeff is a world-renowned expert in the field that I'm most fortunate to have as one of our brilliant uh, brilliant uh, associate editors at Modern Pathology. Jeff is a prolific author with con contributions that include classic textbooks such as Iwakim Lymph Node Pathology and the AFIP Atlas of Tumor Pathology in its four series. Dr. Miranda is a professor of hematopathology at MD Anderson with research focus in the pathogenesis of lymphomas, in particular, the unusual type of lymphomas that grow around breast implants, which incidentally is the topic of our podcast today. The work of our very prestigious guest in this area has led to governmental policy change for the manufacturing of breast implants, banning the use of textures implant in the U.S. and other country. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, George, for having us. Thank you, Dr. Nato. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's uh, move on. Uh, our topic today is related to the recent uh, report that you had in Modern Pathology uh, on EBV-positive large B-cell lymphoma that are associated with breast implant. And uh, before we, we talk about this particular study, can you, uh, one of you or both, give us a little background to our audience about the topic? Yeah, when, well, we started about these studies uh, about uh, 13 years ago in 2008 when we identified one of these cases. And then we read a recent report by the group of the Mayo Clinic about a series of these cases and start paying attention to this lymphoma. And then we put together our series and review our cases here. And I say it seems to be 
an entity. So we start working on that. We start contributing. And eventually, after several publications uh, have, have been recognized as an entity, certainly this publication has been all over the world. And now it's recognized as a distinct entity, which is a lymphoma, which grows around the breast implants. And it is made it to the WHO, right? Yeah, so that's the, just to clarify, that was the breast implant anaplastic large cell lymphomas that are now part of the WHO. This recent paper you're discussing is a newer entity that's not right. part of the WHO just yet. Correct. And, and we'll get to that. But, but in terms of background, what, what people associate with breast implant is the ALCL, right? Yes. And, and that's, that's now recognizable. So uh, then uh, that's, that's a good segue to, to the paper. So uh, what, uh, what's so special about the publication? What's the cohort and what did you, tools did you use? Well, I'll, I'll say something, which is um, in most of the, in the lymphomas which are associated with implants are called, as mentioned, anaplastic large cell lymphoma, which is defined for a marker, which is CD30. And that's how it is called, called and that's identified. But certainly over the years, um, there are other lesions which are associated with the breast implant, but certainly the focus now is in lymphomas, and we found other type of lymphomas but what has been uh, more notorious is this lymphoma, which is associated with a virus, which is the Epstein-Barr virus, which we know is a virus, a very well-known associated with Burkitt lymphoma, and has been over the time associated with many different type of lymphoma, or we call lymphoproliferative disorder, when we are not sure yet that this lymphoma is going there. And now these type of lymphoma start appearing associated with the breast implant also. So that is the series about these cases, and uh, certainly uh, we start seeing these cases and other authors all, all over the world also start talking about this. So we decided that it's time to put our cases together, and that is what uh, we publish in Modern Pathology with Dr. Jeff Medeiros as first author. Jeff, anything else you want to add about that? No, I, I, I of course, completely agree. I, uh, you know, in the literature now, uh, the cases we reported have been reported in a couple other journals in smaller number. And all of this has happened within the last two or three years. Nobody had, I think no one had published on EBV positive large B around implants until maybe 2019 or 2020. So it's all relatively new. There's maybe only about 20 cases reported in the literature that I know of right now. Uh, so it's a pretty unusual entity, but it's, uh, as, uh, as Roberto's alluded to, it sort of mimics the ALCL, but it's a different entity. And, and so I think well worth bringing to the readership of the journal to, to, you know, see this and give some, maybe some, our paper tries to give some clues based on the morphology um, and the markers, of course, the differences between the B and the breast implant ALCL cases. And uh, so, so speaking of that, what's, what would be the key morphologic features uh, looking at the beautiful images? There are, one can spot some, some differences. Can you share with our audience some of these? Yeah, we, what we have seen, uh, this is, this tumor is, is characterized by the presence of very large cells. So very similar to the ALCL has a lot of necrosis, which is also similar the difference is that ALCL is very positive, but also marks with T-cell markers like CD4, CD43. And this is 
negative for those markets, but it's positive for CD20, which is a B-cell marker. And then after that, uh, start looking at that. And then it's also positive for the virus, Esterbar virus, that uh, this is the, the interesting thing. Again, pathologists, we are most interested, uh, well, certainly trying to see how differences from the anaplastic large cell lymphoma, and also try to understand why the virus is there, how the virus is presenting under so many different contexts, so many different patient uh, characteristics. And then in general, Epstein-Barr virus has been associated, let's say, with patients with immunosuppression, for example, uh, post-transplant, uh, a lot of the post-transplant within one year, all, all EVB positive. But then we say this patient with the breast implant don't have any transplant. They are very healthy. They are very immunocompetent. So then uh, here, this is an opportunity for hematopathologists or for pathologists to study again Another mechanism where EBV can be pathogenic, in fact, uh, we can determine uh, here what we call uh, latency patterns of EBV. Again, the latency pattern uh, that we characterize for EBV is called the latency pattern type 3, which is exactly the same pattern that we see in post-transplant disorder. You see how this patient is immunocompetent. Why is having pattern three, which is for immunosuppressed. And then what we have determined and we are learning in this, that this is immunosuppression is just localized. Hmm. So that's something like a new unheard, you know, how can be an immunosuppression just local? And, and the microenvironment, and the microenvironment exactly, around them. Just the microenvironment that the implant, the, the host reaction and the virus, they play together. So I, I would like to present to Dr. as Dr. Medeiros to uh, maybe add some comments about this. No, I, you know, I, you know, of course, I agree completely. I, you know, I think uh, the mechanisms are still a little bit unknown, but certainly um, the idea of a closed environment, perhaps in part a mechanical barrier to the host immune system is one possibility. Uh, hypoxia may have an important role here. Um, most people agree there's chronic antigenic stimulation involved, whether it's due to the textured implant forming a, a bacterial kind of infection, which stimulates the lymphocytes, or possibly the, the silicone capsule of the implant bleeds a little bit of these plastic microparticles that the histiocytes mm. might recognize as a foreign body antigen and then turn on the B cells in a response in some way. Nobody knows exactly why, but this seems to be a, a, the, chronic, the common theme. Persistent antigenic stimulation, some sort of evolution of a clone, and then a likely additional genetic hits, which then lead to the full-blown lymphoma. And I, presumably, these patients all have latent EB infection, probably from exposure as a child. And then this is reactivation uh, in this localized environment. Uh, so that's the thinking of what's going on. Pretty interesting. You look a little different. Perhaps, Roberto, you could just mention some of the morphologic features of these Bs versus the ALCLs just for people to, you know, I mean, obviously you have to do the markers, but it's always nice if you can guess ahead by looking through the microscope. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we as a pathologist try to identify and correlate with morphology. And we say, wow, this is pretty similar. So anybody who haven't seen this case will say this is identical to brace implant ALCL, but uh, 
when we look at that, these cases have a little bit more necrosis and the neoplastic cell, even when they are very large, they don't have this feature where have the ALCL, which is what we call the whole mark because they are like a C-shape and they have a Golgi there and they are very strongly positive. These are not C-shaped, they are rather round and the nucleolus is not that big, as prominent as the ALCL and certainly SERI is can be positive, but usually it's mild, focal, it's not as strong as the ALCL. So there are reasons to think that they are they are different. And also, don't forget, I, sorry. I'm sorry, George, don't forget to mention that layering effect, Correct. Roberto, that you first recognized and is well illustrated in the paper. Correct. And, and that's what I want. So it sounds like even an architectural difference between the ALCL. So you see layers and layers of that. As a, and also, I think lymphoid aggregates, you mentioned the presence of some, some lymphoid aggregates. So even on a low power, uh, like the good old Dr. Neswani's low power hematopathology, you probably can, uh, can pick up some, some difference in this. Uh, uh, absolutely. You know, we as pathologists like to go on, on the details and try. Uh, I didn't know how much to expand, but certainly um, when we see low power, beginning with the brace implant, the usually ALCL, the patients present with big effusion. All of a sudden, in a month, they say, wow, this grew in a month that they feel a fluid, you know, that is how they present usually. This person present, they say, it's bothering me, a little bit of local discomfort, but there is no big effusion, it's minimal, but it's very necrotic just around that. So that's different, the presentation is different. Mm-hmm. And so, and then when we look at the microscope, as you are mentioning, there are certain features that we say they are different from the ELCL. And one is the how, it just it's a layer, it's like a sandwich, you know, it's a layer of necrosis, a layer of tumor, a layer of necrosis, many layers that, that we don't see usually in ALCL. And certainly, as I mentioned, uh, the cytologic features are different. And also the immunophenotypics are different because these are B-cell lymphomas. And you would think, George, that this may have some relevance to the cytopathologists because for breast implant ALCL, there's a lot of fluid, as Dr. Roberto just said, and you can probably put an FNA in, a, in there and get a whole bunch of tumor cells and deal with it. But for these EBV positive large Bs, there's not a lot of fluids, minimal fluid. It's just a thick capsule with all this necrosis and sort of grungy stuff between the tumor and unlikely to come out in the needle. So, you know, uh, that would be another. Uh, and I think Roberto also mentioned that is it in addition to the BL, ALCL patients having these big swelling breasts, the uh, patients with EBV diffused large B are more contracture. So the breast looks funny. You know, it sticks out more or it sticks to the right or left a little more, but it's not big and swollen the way the ALCL cases are. And also the other comment that Dr. Neto said that uh, there are also lymphoid aggregates at the periphery. That's yes. a little bit more frequent in this, which can reveal also some, some of the pathogenesis, as Dr. Neto also mentioned about the microenvironment. Uh, we, yes. We're still in the process of evaluating. Uh, that makes difference. You know why this is having this type of reaction, which is different from the other. Yeah, which is... Uh, uh, you know, the, the next point that I was, because you keep uh, referring even in the title that 
this could have some pathogenic pathogenic clues to uh, to why this particular type or in general these lymphomas arise. Uh, so, I mean, uh, following on uh, your uh, point about uh, the immune suppression in the microenvironment, uh, I imagine you're looking at uh, different type of tolerant cells, different type of macrophages. Uh, that's that's the next step to understand that or. That is correct. You know, the um, there are uh, certainly that is something that we have to evaluate. What is the manifestation of microenvironment immunosuppression? And usually, that is called the the response that immunosuppress. And one of the mechanisms which is uh, uh, mentioned is about the the local microenvironment um, because the increase of T regulatory cells, for example, which inhibit any response against the virus. And um, some of the cytokines that we like to see, for example, interleukin 10 is the one which defines immunosuppression. Uh, that is one of them. And certainly we are open to see what we find, you know, and then in that we'll interpret. But certainly that is that is an approach that we would like to see how to evaluate the microenvironment in one class of tumor like ALCL versus this, which is more EBV associated. You know, George, one of the one of the challenges, at least from my point of view, is that the, the, the quality of the material is not very good for molecular studies. It's not easy exactly. to just dig the capsule out of the paraffin block and try to do anything in terms of gene mutations and the like, because the quality of that DNA, you know, the cells are half dead and then they're surrounded by all this grungy stuff. And so we often don't get a good sample for molecular studies. But Roberto's been working on it and trying to get these people earlier. And he's too humble to say it, but he's kind of a uh, uh, a guru of the breast implant community. And, and these there's like, as you know, there's about a thousand patients with breast implant ALCL reported worldwide. And a fair number of these women know Roberto by name I and I call him. And ask for advice. They've come into the hospital and he brings them by to say hello to me out of respect to me, which I appreciate. It's very impressive. And they treat him like he is a, a rock star. <laughs> that's uh, Thank that's, you. that's great. We'll take that. We want pathologist yeah. rock star. And Jeff, I was I, I was trying to be, you know, uh, a little bit. Uh, generous to you by saying you both changed the governmental policy. It's, I'm sure Roberto had more to do with that. that oh, that absolutely. <laughs> Roberto is uh, Roberto is the leader. I I am thrilled to be the helper to sit at the right hand of the of the master. All right. Yeah, well, I think what I would like to say is that this is certainly a team. You know, here at MD Anderson, uh, my colleague is Dr. Clemens. He's a plastic surgeon who. For them, it's very significant, this disease, because the patients, most of them are, have cosmetic surgery, and the plastic surgeons are the ones who do the implant and all the cosmetic uh, thing, and also the repair and the reconstruction in patients with cancer. So for them, the disease is, is really, uh, uh, um, uh, this is a priority. But for pathologists, it's like, uh, well, this is a real lymphoma. We don't process uh, capsules. You know, we don't see them. And then also we have here uh, our the chair of breast oncology, Dr. Kelly Hunt. She's also an excellent surgeon who, from the very beginning, she decided what ALCL should should be treated as. So she designed a protocol, and then certainly 
we follow and she just right on track. And that is how we at MD Anderson created the, the recommendations for surgery and subsequently has a recommendation how to process these specimens. And then certainly um, Dr. Clemens has been very vocal and about this. So he has, you know, uh, talk at the FDA level and he, he is the person really who has influenced a lot the 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 relation with the policymakers at the FDA and how how all this has been uh, evolved. But certainly uh, we have contributed that in uh, supporting uh, the idea, giving the scientific basis for the disease. And this has evolved that way. Again, um, at the, as, as you mentioned, uh, policies about the manufacturing of these implants have changed now. Uh, the breast implants are are, are not recommended anymore, at least in the United States and many other countries, uh, and so on. You know, patients are now more aware that the implants can cause disease. In the past, uh, they thought that it was totally inert. There is no reaction to the silicone. Now, uh, certainly part of the effort that we do, we receive a variety of specimens associated with breast implants, and we have been learning about other diseases. There is something which is called the breast implant illness. And this is very common in patients who have reactions. A patient with implant, they have an immunologic or cutaneous manifestations, and that still needs to be defined as a disorder. As we see, that is not recognized, but again, there are patients who suffer with these symptoms, and certainly we are asked to give opinion on what, uh, what we think about that. And again, this is something still not defined and needs work to be done. And, and to finish so, up, sorry, go ahead. George, if I could just say one more thing, if you don't mind. So it's, it's clearly a team effort, and, and Roberto's part of an important team, and he's mentioned many of the players. But this is a disease that pathologists saw first, and I just wanted to emphasize that. We, we tend to, uh, you know, when you get in front of the clinicians, if you know what I'm trying to say, they seem to think that we have a minimal role and they are the, the leaders and that is true many times. But in this instance, it was the pathologist who saw this first. You know, Dr. Dogan, when he was at the Mayo Clinic, saw this. Um, you know, Roberto got into it very early with me. Um, and, you know, and then after papers were published, including a big paper that Roberto wrote in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, then the clinicians got involved. And now it's a huge team. And of course, once the clinicians get involved, we still have a role, but, you know, in some ways it seems a little minor now because Dr. Clemens is certainly leading the effort. He's a terrific plastic surgeon, and he's already mentioned Dr. Kelly Hunt, who's a great oncology surgeon, and they deserve all the credit in the world for what they're doing. I don't want to take anything away from them, but we were the first ones to, to sort of come up with this, and I just wanted to say it. We as in, in the field of pathology. And, and, and that's a very important point for, you know, a lot of uh, our audience. The podcasts are people new to the field and excited about the field. And it's, uh, it's a great reminder how, how critical pathology can be in, uh, in identifying diseases and then delineating them. And, and which brings us to the outcome. Uh, so these are a lot of time surgeries alone is good, but you can, some of them you need adjuvant therapy. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. As, as I mentioned, Dr. Kelly Hunt here was fundamental. Her perception of what it was, how it was, you know, when we show her the outcomes of diseases and she said, you know what, this is surgical disease. And 
obviously uh, you have to go to the current. And when you mention ALCL, that is that is chemotherapy. That is anti-GD30. Right. It's not surgery. So that sounds unheard. But uh, eventually we showed data and we demonstrated that surgery is the key. You have to remove the implant. You have to remove all evidence of disease. And then that concept seems so simple. Uh, it's not so simple because we still see patients who come here, they change the implant, they don't remove the capsule entirely, they see a part only that because they remove the implant. What happened, whatever is left in that capsule, it comes back as an aggressive disease. It comes back as a, the same disease or more aggressive. So, again, the prognostic is excellent when the disease is diagnosed early, but if the disease is left to go its regular course after surgery, that is not a good disease. Uh, we've yeah. seen some people with, you know, certain, not just regional nodes, but chest wall invasion. We had a patient here who had bone marrow dissemination. We've had a few oh. people die of this disease. So when you get it early and it's localized and you can unblock, resect it, uh, it's wonderful. People don't need any more therapy. That's pretty much the consensus. But once it gets out of the capsule, there are problems. And so, uh, as Roberto's just mentioned, one of the big issues is, um, from my perspective anyway, is that surgeons are used to switching out an implant and putting in a new one, but not taking out the capsule, which is a lot more work. And if that capsule remains behind, it can really, the tumor has a chance now to spread. And at that point, it's much harder to treat. Very informative and, and very important for our audience around the world and, and other places where they don't get to see that many, especially pathologists, to to start identifying these clearly for the implications that Jeffrey just mentioned. Well, I would uh, I'm grateful to both of you. It's it's really been a pleasure to have you, and uh, I look forward to having you in uh, future episodes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, George. It's a great pleasure being here. Any opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views of modern pathology, Springer Nature, UAB, or USCAP. Your ModPath chat host and scientific director is Dr. George Neto. Producers are Christina Crow, Amber Jackson, Dr. Sarah Jang, and Dr. Catherine Ketchum. Technical direction is provided by Kaminsky Productions, music by Mitch Neubauer. Thanks to the authors, reviewers, and editors of Modern Pathology for making this podcast possible.